the first Penchen Lama has divided his text into the preparation practices and then the actual material and the concluding procedures. And in the presentation of the actual body of the material, he specified the various divisions of Mahamudra. Specified that there is a sutra tradition and a tantra tradition. And within that, he is going to discuss sutra section. And within sutra, there are two approaches. First is to meditate on the mind. I mean, it's, I think, literally what he says. First, meditate on the mind uh, after, uh, and then gaining a correct view of reality or gaining a correct view of uh, reality first on top of having meditated on the mind. First meditate on the nature of the mind and then voidness. Uh, first meditate on the mind, is all that he says, and then meditate on voidness or meditate on voidness first and then the mind. And if we look a little bit more closely at that, then actually to meditate on the mind here. He's speaking about the conventional nature of the mind. And concerning the conventional nature of the mind, we can gain both shamatha and vipassana focused on the conventional nature of the mind. And then on the basis of that, go on to do voidness meditation of the nature of the mind. Or we can work on gaining the understanding of voidness first, whether we do this with shamatha or vipassana is not actually uh, spoken of. Mm-hmm. 
Делаем ли это мы в контексте Випашины, Шамахи Випашины, здесь не оговариваются. And then focus on the conventional nature of the mind, gain shamatha and vipassana, and then apply our understanding of voidness to that. Tension, the first Tension Lama specifies that he's going to present the first method, which is to gain, to meditate on the mind, which means to gain shamatha and vipassana on the conventional nature of the mind first, and then he'll discuss the voidness of the mind. Okay, now, the big question is, what is the conventional nature of the mind? When we speak about conventional nature here, we're talking about what is mind? What is it? And when we ask the question, what is something, then we look to try to understand the defining characteristic of that object or phenomenon. What then is the defining characteristic of mind? We have a definition of mind in Buddhism, which consists of three words. Hmm? Now, these are usually translated as clarity, awareness, and merely or being only that. Now, none of these three are particularly easy to understand what they are actually referring to. Now, we need to go back a little bit and look at the Buddhist presentation of various types of phenomenon.
we uh, can speak about existent phenomenon and non-existent phenomenon. Something that exists is something that can be validly known. Something that doesn't exist can be known non-validly. Like a unicorn or a, a true existence. We can cognize something like that, but it wouldn't be valid. It would be a distorted cognition. Now, what exists, what can be validly known, can be divided several ways. One way is to divide it into static and non-static phenomenon. I'll explain that. I'll explain that. I am not calling it permanent and impermanent because that gives a uh, misleading connotation. We're not talking about how long something exists. Impermanent implies for a short time, permanent implies uh, forever. But rather the distinction that's being made here is whether or not something changes from moment to moment for however long it might exist, either a short time or forever. When we speak about mind, we're speaking about something which is non-static, it changes from moment to moment, but it lasts forever. When we read in Kagyu and Nyingma texts that mind is permanent, Читая, uh, 
there they're using the same word as we just translated as static however they're using it in the meaning of lasting forever And they explain that the nature of the mind doesn't change from moment to moment, although they would have to agree with the Galupa presentation that the object of the mind changes from moment to moment. And when the Kagyu and Yingma texts say that the mind is an unaffected phenomenon, that means that the nature of the mind, it's Dumache, the nature of the mind is not affected by anything and it's not created by anything. However, they would have to agree with the Galuk presentation that the object of the mind is, of course, affected or what object the mind takes is going to be affected by causes and conditions. Because of this difference in approach, we have quite a different way of explaining mind in these two sets of traditions, and unless we're clear about what each of these traditions is talking about, which feature of mind they're talking about, we could get terribly confused and think that these two traditions totally disagree with each other and say the exact opposite of each other, but that in fact is not the case. As the Pension Lama himself says, there are all these different traditions, and yet they all come to the same intended point. So it can't be that they are speaking about mind in totally contradictory manners. (coughs) 
Now, among non-static phenomena, things that change from moment to moment, we have forms of physical phenomena. First of all, these are forms of physical phenomenon not just form form is a little bit misleading because that's only really one of the different types of uh, physical phenomenon we're talking about sights sounds smells, tastes, physical sensations and also the physical sensors these uh, like photosensitive cells of the eyes and also various uh, forms of physical phenomenon that can only be known by the mind that can be known only, only by the mind, not by the physical senses. Like uh, subatomic particles, astronomical distances, uh, what seems to be like uh, colored shapes and sights and so on that we perceive in dreams. These type of things. So these are forms of physical phenomenon. Right? Not really, can't say that all of these are material things. That, that gets a little bit strange when we uh, talk about uh, things like sense data of, uh, you know, these various senses, not quite material. Hmm. Then we have ways of being aware of something. Hmm. This is where mind comes in. So this is a completely different category of uh, non-static phenomenon. 
And I choose these words very carefully, a way of being aware, or a way of cognizing something. It's talking about an activity, a way of experiencing, experiencing something. There has to be an object to it. So it could be a primary consciousness, so seeing something, hearing something, thinking something. Or it can be one of these subsidiary awarenesses, concentrating on something, being interested in something, being angry with something, liking something. Okay, so all these are ways of being aware. It's not at all some form of physical phenomenon. We're not talking about some sort of thing in our head that does this. We're talking about the activity that's occurring. Then there are the third category. Um, difficult to translate the term because it's defined differently in the different tenant systems. Yes, and so that's not so easy, but uh, I call them, well, why don't we just make it very simple and say non-static phenactive, non-static phenomenon that are not no. the, uh, either of the other two. As I say, that gets very, very complicated once we start looking at the presentation and definition of these in the various tenant systems. But what would be included here would be things like time. And also persons like me, the conventional me. Okay. Now, we're talking then about, when we talk about mind, we're talking about an activity. And it is an you know, another way of dividing phenomenon in general is individually characterized and generally characterized phenomenon. Ronson and Jitsen. 
а сущих. Феномен того, что здесь, да, это деление на индивидуально характеризуемые феномены и а, категории или а, Generally, like categories. So we are not talking here about mind like a general category, like mind, you know, like some great thing. We are talking about individual minds. We're talking about a countless number of individual streams of continuity that go on forever of ways of being aware of things. Мы говорим о бесчисленном множестве индивидуальных потоков сознания, которые есть последовательности восприятия отдельными живыми существами неких объектов seeing a movie is not your experience of seeing a movie, is it? I might like it, you might not like it. I'm sitting in this seat, you're sitting in that seat. So the angle from which we view the movie and the distances different, so it's subjective, it's individual. So, although the defining characteristic of all minds, of all streams of mental activity is the same defining characteristic, Nevertheless, the mental, we're talking about individual mental continuums. We talk about a mental continuum. It's a continuum of moment after moment after moment of a way of being aware of something. And being a phenomenon, it's called Ch, in uh, Dharma, defining characteristic of such a thing is in Tibetan, I'm using Tibetan since my translator knows Tibetan, is Ngo Zimba. It holds its own essential nature, which means that it retains its individuality. И являясь феноменами, что по-тибетски че или харма, маленькая буква, да, являясь хармами или явлениями, феноменами, все они должны соответствовать дефиниции, которая действенна, которая эффективна для че, для харма, а именно это держатели своей, своей собственной идентичности, своей собственной сущностной природы. То есть все они, they are all, Each one retains its own essential nature as an individual continuity. So even when we become a Buddha, 
The mental continuum of each Buddha is individual. It's not that they all merge into one big mind. And as a way of being aware of something or experiencing something, it always has content. There's always a something. There's always an object. Now, the three defining characteristics. Now, when we speak about clarity and awareness, these first two characteristics, again, we need to understand these as ways of being aware of something. And we're not talking about a generally characterized phenomenon like clarity in general or awareness in general. We're not talking about something like that. We're not talking about a quality of this activity. We are characterizing the activity. What kind of activity is it? What's happening? What's it doing? Now, this word clarity, then, we need to understand a little bit more like a verb rather than an abstract noun. And the way that it is explained or glossed, in other words, what's a different word for it, is the same word as is used for the dawning of the sun. So it is giving rise to something, giving rise to an appearance, so appearance making. Yeah, it's uh, well, giving rise. You have to get a little bit more precise, though, so this is not so easy. Like, it's the same thing as, as I say, it's the same word that's used, charwa, the sun rises. Uh, 
давать возможность зайти видимостям, да, объектам восприятия. So it's giving rise to, in a sense, an object of cognition. Making, uh, you see, we can't say that it makes it appear. This is a little bit tricky here. Mm. Uh, I'll ex- explain that because it's a little bit yeah, cute if we can use the word. <laughs> this is only the Galuk explanation. You know, in general, when we are aware of something, the mind gives rise to a mental hologram of it. And I, even from a Western scientific point of view, we would have to say something like that. You know, light hits the eye, and then there's all these sort of electrical impulses and so on. And what we see is actually a like a mental hologram. So, giving rise to a mental hologram is one way of understanding this word clarity. That mental hologram in Tibetan is known as an aspect, a mental aspect number. A mental aspect. But I think mental hologram is a much easier way of understanding, and it can be a hologram not only of a visual thing, but of a sound, of a sight, of a smell, of you know anything. Hmm. Now, the problem is that in addition, there is the giving rise to something which is not actually appearing. That's not so easy to say. Giving rise to something that is not appearing. That's not actually appearing. For example, I see this uh, table. And so what appears is a mental hologram of a table, but also I'm aware that it is not a dog, or not anything other than a table. Mm-hmm. So not a dog, there's no mental hologram of not a dog. Mm-hmm. There's no mental hologram of not anything other than a table. Okay. But that also is part of this clarity of this arising. This is purely Galupa. Mm-hmm. 
Но одновременно мы отдаем себе и отчет, что это не собака. Или что это не есть а, что-либо иное, кроме стола. Да? Не то, что это не собака, не то, что это не что иное, кроме стола, не восстает а, у нас в виде в уме, в виде, не восходит в уме в виде элементальных голограмм. Но тем не менее, это ясность или прояснение, да, этот аспект ума, он также дает восстать и этому пониманию. Let's take a moment to think about that and digest that. When I see Sasha, what arises is a mental hologram of Sasha, and also what arises is being aware that it's not somebody else. Not anybody else. Let's, let's make it a little bit better grammar. Think about that. This is what this word clarity means means giving rise to that and it doesn't have to be in focus like the word clear implies we're talking about giving rise to a cognitive object a cognitive object that cognitive object can either appear with a mental hologram or not appear with a mental hologram now we're talking here with this factor of simply giving rise to the cognitive object we're not talking about knowing for instance that this is Sasha and nobody other than Sasha we're not talking about that we're just giving rise to Sasha as somebody as something that I know and giving rise to not something else Мы говорим здесь лишь о возникновении или о предоставлении возможности возникнуть Саше в образе, в чем-то сознании, в моем сознании, но не о знании, что это Саша. Мы даем возможность Саше возникнуть, это, это ясно, дает возможность Саше возникнуть в восприятии Саши, а не кого-то еще. Right? We don't know that it's Sasha. We don't. I mean, we're not talking about names and recognition and all of that. We're talking something about something very, very basic here. So think again. Okay. Now, do you have a question on that? We're not going to get terribly far unless we understand these basic points here. And these are extremely, extremely difficult. That's why we have to do all the preparation and all the 
you know, the stuff to be able to actually recognize what in the world are we talking about? This is very, very subtle. So don't think, oh, it's really easy and I'm stupid because I don't understand it. I don't uh, recognize it. question is, are we talking only about a visualized object or an imagined object when we speak about mental hologram? Actually, no, it's the exact same thing. In fact, the scientists have discovered that as well, that if we see an object or we imagine an object, the mental process is exactly the same. So whether we are, what should we say, uh, the mental hologram is based on from a Western point of view, light coming through the photosensitive cells of the eyes and, you know, firing, you know, all sorts of optic nerves and things like that. Still, there's, an, there's a mental hologram. And that process of a mental hologram is, of giving rise to a mental hologram is exactly the same with all the senses and imagination, in other words, mental consciousness as well. And thinking, too. that this can this discussion can lead to of course from a metaphysical point of view for example what do we mean by distance if our only way of knowing things is in terms of mental holograms but this just touches on yes but uh, this is uh, what should we say just giving you a little bit of an indication of where this discussion can go. Mm. Okay, now, when we speak about a defining characteristic of mind or mental activity, having three words, 
the three words all go together. They are not separate, occurring in sequence or anything like that. They're combined together, networked together. Therefore, when we look at the second word of the of the definition, we are still talking about the same mental activity, but now we are describing it from another point of view. And although it may be translated as awareness, we're not talking about some sort of general quality, we're not talking about some abstract thing, we're talking about an individual activity. It is being aware of something. Both in a transitive or causative sense of, you know, making something, something that we're aware of, and also in a uh, non-transitive way of being aware of something. Making something what we're aware of. Well, anyway, to make something uh, an object of awareness and to be aware of something. Now, this is the same activity as giving rise to a cognitive object. Giving rise to a cognitive object is equivalent to being aware of a cognitive object. It's describing the phenomenon from two different points of view. So it is not the case that first a thought arises and then we think it. The giving rise to a thought is what it means to think a thought. Mm-hmm. 
восхождение мысли в уме, возникновение мысли в сознании, и есть думание ее, и есть мышление да? Это совпадает, это одно и то же. If the thought first arose, how would you know that it arose in order to then think it? So that doesn't make any sense. That's nonsense. Very good. So similarly, uh, giving rise to a mental hologram of uh, colored shapes you know, sights, that is what seeing is. It's not that first there's the arising of that visual mental hologram and then we see it. We decide, am I going to look at it or not look at it? Это не есть процесс, когда возникает некая ментальная голограмма из форм цветов и очертаний, а затем мы ее замечаем и начинаем смотреть на нее. Нет, возникновение ее и есть смотрение или зрительная перцепция. We're not talking about how much attention we pay to the mental hologram. That's a subsidiary awareness. We're talking about just seeing. Мы здесь не говорим о том, какое внимание или какую концентрацию мы уделяем Okay, so let's think about that. Okay, do you have any questions on that? When we're talking about perceiving a table, so there is a table here out there, and then we perceive it, then there is a mental hologram of the table appearing in our brain or in our mind. So what is it in the perception, there is a second, in this, yes, in awareness? What, we, what are we aware of? Of mental hologram in the brain or in the mind or in the we are aware of the table which is out there? What mm-hmm. are we aware of? So the question is when we are aware of when we cognize the table, there's the external object, the table, there's the mental hologram of the table. So what is it that we actually cognize? We cognize um, glu- we'll just explain the Galuk explanation, the non Galuk explanation is quite different here. But uh, from the Galuk explanation we are cognizing the both of them. Through the mental hologram, we are cognizing the external table. So the Luke explanation is that the mental hologram is fully transparent. Mm-hmm. 
А так тогда у меня в том, что стол это реальный, реальность, а то есть что ментальный геолог голограмма, это есть продолжение стола, а не Okay, so now the question is when we perceive a table, how do we know through a mental hologram of a table, how do we know that it is a valid cognition? and not just the hallucination of a table. This is dealing with sense cognition and sense cognition we have to uh, see whether or not there is some there's a whole list of conditions for distorted sense cognition and to see is there some condition or cause or circumstance that would be making it distorted like for instance something wrong with our eyes you don't have your glasses on for example or some external thing like there isn't enough light to see clearly what it is. So it needs to be confirmed. Our cognition needs to be confirmed by other cognitions which are valid. So we would have to, you know, somebody does have their glasses on and when we turn on the light and so on, is it, can we confirm, can we corroborate what we saw? When we come down from LSD, do we still see what we saw when we were under the influence of LSD, for example? Do we still see what we <laughs> Do we still see, you know, all sorts of fantastic colored, you know, shapes and so on in the sky? Mm-hmm. But we 
So the question is, if our sense perception is distorted, how can we know that somebody else's sense perception is not, or our own sense perception later is not distorted? Well, if we're dealing with a non-static phenomenon, another term for it is a functional phenomenon, then the criterion is uh, can what we perceive perform its function? Can if I put a glass of water on this object, is it going to hold it? Is it going to perform the function of a table, or is it going to fall through because it was a hallucination? In the, sen- in the case of sense cognition, which is always of non-static phenomenon. That's bare cognition. That's called bare cognition. Bare cognition. Well, let's not use the word direct. I'm just trying to figure out what you mean. Bear means, well, there's two definitions of this, but uh, I'm using it just in the sense of non-conceptual cognition. Bear, it's bear of concepts. That's anyway. Let's not get too complicated here. Uh, how do we know that uh, when we know a static phenomenon uh, that it's valid or not in terms of a hologram? This has to do with uh, valid inference, inferential cognition. Uh, 
Что же касается некого статичного феномена или постоянного феномена истинности или ловности которого да, у нас возникли сомнения, то здесь нам необходимо прибегнуть к критерию того, что именуется inferential organizer. Тут я уже не знаю, как это получится сказать. Uh, inferential organizer это то, что это последующая конференция, это как бы индукция, индукция, индукция. Когда мы делаем There are three types of inferential cognition. One is uh, based on logic. Where there's smoke, there's fire. So you see smoke and then you infer there's fire there. So we can check the validity of that if uh, our logic uh, does not have a fault. And there's all sorts of rules of logic. Then there is inference based on renown. Renown is what's well known. In, in other words, when we hear a certain set of acoustic patterns of sounds, then it is well known that those sounds signify a word and it has a certain conventional meaning. And so we infer when we hear this, these sounds that it means that. So that you can rely on dictionaries and the convention of the language. It's just a sound after all. How do we know that it means anything? And then there's inference based on authority that when somebody says something like Buddha and we don't have any other way of knowing whether it's correct or not, then by knowing that this person is a valid source of information, then we can infer that what they say is correct. Like about karma. Like no, knowing somebody's name, 
we can't see it, we can't infer it by logic. You have to ask a valid source of information of somebody who knows this person's name. Or the example His Holiness loves to use is, how do we know our birthday? <laughs> we have to rely on a valid source of information, our mother or somebody like that. So there are ways of validating what we know. That's a big topic of uh, discussion in Buddhism, actually. Hmm. Any other question? Then the third word of the defining characteristics here Mm-hmm. which is the word mere or merely or only so we are talking about one activity which from one point of view is the arising of uh, what should we say an object of cognition and the from another point of view it is cognizing an object of cognition and merely means that that's all that's happening so that means that there is no separate entity called the mind that's actually doing this and there's no separate me that's actually making this happen so it's not as though there's some me in my head that goes to the computer, which is the mind, turns it on, and now I'm going to think something or I'm going to see something and uses the mind like using a machine. Even though we might speak that way, like, well, why don't you use your mind and figure it out? This mental activity just occurs automatically, without any effort, 
From moment to moment to moment. With no break in its continuity. Individual, subjective. And what follows in terms of the sequence of the object of cognition follows in an orderly fashion based on cause and effect. Karma. And even once we've become liberated, continues, even when it's not under the influence of karma, but still the sequence will occur in an orderly fashion according to cause and effect. Well, when we attain liberation as an arhat, we're out of samsara. We're not enlightened yet, but we're no longer under the influence of karma. Okay? So, let us think about that. Now, that, of course that point, the mental activity occurs without there being a separate, totally independent entity called the mind and me, of course, brings us into the whole discussion of voidness. But, even without a deep understanding of voidness, we can still have some sort of understanding of why, particularly in Galupa, we add this third word to the definition, word merely. This word in Tibetan, sam, merely, excludes something that it's not. And it's only this, it's only this activity. Okay? Let's think about it. After we thought about it, then I had the break. I just wanted to. Okay. Any question on that before we take our short break? Without going into a deep discussion of voidness yet, since that will come tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 
то непонятно, мы как бы оказываемся в своего рода фаталистической ситуации, когда на самом деле мы вроде бы не можем, скажем, выполнять никакую практику визуализации, поскольку она в любом случае обусловлена. Uh, perception of our mind stream and he's asking uh, but we can somehow influence our mind stream our perception with our willpower we can think okay I'll think about it tomorrow and we think about it tomorrow or we can say I'll visualize that now and bring up this image in our mind so it's not that like fatalistic and we all, we're not subject to, like, to karma all the way but we can influence our perception our thought our images with, with our willpower impulses of our will So what's the role of that willpower in our, the functioning of our mental Something like that. That's a very good question. What is the function of willpower in our whole presentation of the sequence of what we are aware of? And willpower is a mental factor. Это сила воли, да, или болевой импульс, это определенный ментальный фактор, один из Yeah, it's one of the subsidiary types of awareness. It would be uh, intention. Now, the intention to think about something, the intention to go and uh, uh, read a book, so on, these intentions occur without there being oh, it's also a type of mental activity and they occur without there being a separate me doing the intending они также есть моменты ментального, ментальной функции ментального действа и они не появляются из какого-то я, стоящего где-то в стороне, усылающего их уму да? они также часть этого ментального процесса пойти туда-то, почитать какую-то книгу и тому подобное now Why does a certain intention arise? There are, that's a combination, uh, it arises dependently on many, many factors. For instance, the intention to go read a book. There has to be a habit of reading books. In general, what uh, activates a karma is uh, a little bit complicated, but it is a If we just simplify it completely, let's make it grasping for true existence. It's much more complex than that. And so it's to be a little bit more precise it's craving we crave uh, when we're experiencing happiness not to be parted from it when we're experiencing unhappiness to be parted from it and then we identify with that 
with a solid me grasping for true existence. So this is going on every moment. I want to be happy, don't want to be happy, and we identify with that. That activates karma each moment. Then there, then there's a whole big collection or network of habits that are there. Of what can be activated? And then the specific habit that, uh, or tendency to be more technically correct, not a habit, the specific tendency that will be activated is going to be affected by uh, other conditions. Conditions of the circumstance that we're in, the time of day, the people we're with, what we were doing just before, and so on. So first, what comes is a mental factor of uh, wanting to do something. I feel like reading a book, and then an intention to actually do it. No. no. First comes the Dhruva, liking. I feel like reading a book. And then the, the, you can have the intention that I, I actually am going to read a book that moves you into the action. So all of that happens without there being some separate me that's doing it or you know, having I will, you know, I'm going to do that. We have choice, but when we speak about choice, choice is uh, within the context of voidness and dependent arising. We experience, from our subjective point of view, we experience that I have a choice. We experience that I have a choice of what to do. However, our mind makes it appear as though there is a separate independent me and separate independent choices like on a menu that exist all by themselves and I exist all by myself and independent of anything I'm going to choose on the menu what to do and that is complete garbage that's not at all how it exists 
нуждающийся ум, несведущий ум, рисует нам совершенно иную картину. Он рисует нам картину отдельно существующего «я» и отдельно существующего меню с этими выборами, choices, да, на которые можно нажать, указать и который произойдет. Да. Этот «я» решает, выбор где-то самосущий, вписанный в меню, мы здесь, мы решили, мы нажали, это произошло. Ситуация совершенно такова, это иллюзорная ситуация, нарисованная нашим Everything that happens arises dependently on causes and conditions and so on. But it's not predetermined, it's not fixed, that's the other extreme. It's not as though it exists already before it happens, or somebody has decided what's going to happen. So this gets into a very sophisticated discussion. Well, perhaps we can save the other questions till after our break. That's a very good question. It's an important point to really work on.